and welcome to episode 111 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Pez fights fire with Scotsman, Leisure Suit Larry is back, Lord knows why. Welcome to the cloud, son. It's Resident Evil 7 on Nintendo Switch. And hey, remember No Man's Sky? This week in our book club, we're going to talk about the game that took on-couch multiplayer to the next level, brought it into the 21st century. It's Jackbox Party Pack. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, episode 111 from linktothecast.eu, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Spotify, if they ever fucking email me back. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> joined as I am each and every week by the already popped oh, platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. How are you, my friend? You know, I, I forget that Spotify has a, a podcasting, or is can be used as a podcasting platform, because I don't listen, I, I don't use Spotify yeah. as a podcasting platform, because mm. um, I use Pocket Casts for my Android device. But yes. uh, yeah, it would be nice if they go back to you. When did you last contact them? Uh, last weekend. Okay. Well, they're, like, my... they're, they're busy, you know. I mean, continue... Problem is because we uh, host our thing on SoundCloud, it's not very straightforward. Yeah. Um. There's a couple of podcast hosts like Libsyn and stuff like that that have their own internal thing that you can submit to Spotify, but as yet they don't support SoundCloud as standard. So it's kind of a they do it on a case by case basis. Sure. I mean, keep in mind that. Um considering there's a, a new kind of wrestler hosted podcast coming out literally every week they're inundated with requests for that so that's probably why they haven't got back to you yet but they will i i feel confident about it yeah i always thought podcast one was kind of an ironic name considering there's about four fucking thousand podcasts <laughs> um how have you been my friend uh yeah not bad this is um the first time i'm doing this show literally from my desk at work because usually i go into one of the other rooms um, yeah. but there's only uh, one of my colleagues here um, and he has his headphones on so he's like yeah sure go for it so I've actually literally like not left my chair all day today uh, which is quite okay. nice um, well in fairness it, it isn't it, it may be the first podcast you've recorded from your office chair but it's not the first podcast you've recorded without leaving your chair for the day because that, that, that couch in our house here was pretty well worn at That's times when you lived here fair it's a fair point <laughs> Um, but other so than... my, my, my goal for this show now is to get you to say the strangest things out of context so that your work colleague phones the police. Uh, it's not likely. Um, uh, they, they've pretty much heard everything. Matt already. can try. Mm. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, although I suppose we can talk about Deadpool 2, so maybe we'll get a comment or two from that that could uh, ah, set them off. Yes, have you, you've seen it now, have yeah, you? Yeah, I saw it at the weekend. What do you think? Uh, I very much enjoyed it. I mean, I went in expecting a very dumb film, and that's what I got, and mm. I can't really ask for more than that. Um, it it does suffer from the issue of it, it. There's two very extreme tones that the film goes for, and the, the kind of whiplash that you get from it going from one tone to another, it, yeah. it, it, it struggles to balance those two. Um, but outside of that, uh, I very much enjoyed Ryan Reynolds. I very, very much enjoyed 
um, Josh Brolin. You know, it, it really just, to be honest, it feels like Josh Brolin being Josh Brolin. Um, there's not too much more to his character, but um, not really knowing the Cable character that well, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, I really liked uh, Domino. Um, ah, Domino was great. I, I very much enjoyed that that character and that performance. Um, and I was uh, mild spoiler alert, but I was very sad that we didn't see the return of Vinnie Jones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I you know it's I, I don't expect much from a, a Deadpool two film, and I laughed throughout. So yeah, it's enough for me. Yeah, I, I don't think it was. I said it on the show last week. I don't think it's as good as the original um, because I think much like with Guardians two, there's a certain amount of the cat's out of the bag now that doesn't have the surprise factor. Sure. Um, we knew it was just going to be more Deadpool. It, that's all it needed to be, though, and that's what it was. Um, and I very much enjoyed it. I've seen it twice now, um, and I very much enjoyed it both times. I still do stand by my my um, original statement that I think the first third of the movie is the worst part, and it gets better as it goes on and finishes very, very strongly. Okay. Um. Oh, please tell me you stayed for that mid-credit scene. Of by course, the way, that was without the, spoiling that was, it. That was. <laughs> yeah, I very much enjoyed uh, all of that. All of that, and in fairness, like the second part of that joke, basically, um, I, I haven't seen what it's referencing, um, but a friend yeah. of the show, Matt Niner, has told me it's horrific. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I enjoyed all of that. Now, I have definitely seen the first part of that joke, and it very much deserved uh-huh. to take a bullet to the head. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, one of my favorite uh, things in that watching it the second time round, so I really loved um, just the how normal a, a couple... Uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead and Yukio are yes. like it's a real like it, it's it's a relationship between two women and it's just played like very matter of factly not like ooh look how progressive we're being it's just like no just very matter of fact ordinary couple and then kind of linked to that I also loved every time Wade and Yukio say hello to each other it's brilliant yeah <laughs> and it's like every single time there's just a little extra put on it you know like it starts off with just hi Yukio and then by the end he's saying hi Yukio and he's doing like this weird fluttery hand thing it's uh yeah it's it's a really fun movie I enjoyed seeing it uh speaking of movies I've seen a few times Mark I traumatized three children today <laughs> because I brought my little cousins aged 13 11 and 9 to see infinity war that seems a bit rough now i i presume (laughs) that they are fans of the mcu universe yeah yeah Yeah. so like that's why i knew in terms of like you know the way there's i wouldn't call it strong language because i'd be very liberal about my use of language as listeners may uh have picked up by now i say fuck a lot um so I know that because they've seen a bunch of Marvel movies, they're okay with kind of the level. You know, there's like usually one use of shit or damn or fuck or something like that in one of the Marvel movies, but just one. Well, um, I'm the the most of those films are like a twelve A. Um, yeah. So it falls under the category of hey, you can take your kid to see it, but you know your it, it's your responsibility for the fact that there's a bit of swearing in it. You know. Yeah, um, but like not to spoil it, we'll, we'll probably talk more in detail about it on this month's Popcorn Social, the actual uh, plot and machinations of Infinity War. Uh, but 
uh, the bit at the end that I think has been spoiled for everybody now because it's become its own meme. Yeah. Uh, I, I said to you and, and to Brian before I went in that this may be their generation's Mufasa dying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but at least uh, uh, the older two, the, the 13 year old and the 11 year old read comics. Right. So the one thing they're pretty much they have it. I don't think they've read jim starlin's infinity gauntlet because i think they kind of just read current marvel stuff but i think you know anyone who reads comics is pretty much aware that no matter how permanent it seems death is kind of temporary in comic books um so you never really like you go along with it for what it is but you never think that someone is is permanently gone uh so i think that softened the blow a little bit for two of them but there was one moment during that big montage of of bleakness at the end of that film where the youngest one, the nine-year-old, just like... Because you know it, it get when they do that kind of montage, it gets real creepy quiet. Sure, like, yeah. the, the score stops and everything, which I think is really effective in the movie. Uh, <laughs> the, the nine-year-old just goes... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a real, like, good lord, so many punches to the gut happening here. Um, I also... A line I picked up on... Uh, much better this time around than my previous two viewings of the movie was the the line where so obviously one of the best things about Infinity War for a long time Marvel fans is getting to see all these different characters interact with each other and I I, I just I will always love the line I am Groot and then <laughs> I am Steve Rogers I am Steve Rogers <laughs> and, he, and he taps his chest as if to try and communicate I am Steve Rogers <laughs> because Cap Cap is the best and Cap is my favorite character in the MCU but he is a dork. <laughs> so that that works perfectly. Um yeah, oh god, I love that movie and I had also kind of just during the week uh, just before we move on to to video games I had rewatched what is still I think I needed to watch it again after Infinity War to make sure but uh, rewatched it this week, and it is still my favorite MCU movie, and that is The Winter Soldier. Oh, by far, absolutely by far. It is, it is so fucking good, and like I keep saying, it, my my basic explanation for why I love it so much is that with, like, if you take Cap out of it, if you take all the superhero stuff out of it, it's still a pretty fucking great espionage movie. Mm-hmm. Um. And then on top of that, as someone pointed out, I, I the, the reason I rewatched it is because I've been watching a kind of funny Greg Miller's YouTube channel. They have a series where they're doing the MCU and reviews, so they have like hour-long shows about each of the movies, dissecting them. And during Winter Soldier, uh, one of them pointed out that uh, this is the closest to a Metal Gear Solid movie we'd probably ever get. Winter Soldier, and I was like, God, it is really Metal Gear Solid at points. I mean, it's not batshit crazy enough to be full on Metal Gear, but I, no, no, I, it's I not full the... Metal Gear. But like yeah. the, you know, the 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 hug, Hail Hydra, whisper yeah, in the yeah, ear yeah. thing is very, very Metal Gear, and so is the like the the kind of like. The, the cyborg arm of the Winter Soldier is just one step short of him screaming "nano machines." Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I won't go full on uh, popcorn social, but um, I, I went back and I watched the first two Spider-Man films um, mm-hmm. because I wanted to. You like Spider-Man Two is is heralded as, as like one of the greatest um, superhero films ever. Yeah, certainly, and, certainly at that time. Anyway, yeah. So I kind of wanted to go back and and watch them. Um, and with Spider- the original Spider-Man, it, it 
for the most part holds up, even though yeah. Willem Dafoe is very, very Willem Dafoe, like yeah. like full on Dafoe. Um, and I think that it's interesting with um, Tobey Maguire in that he's he's like a really good Peter Parker, but I don't think he's a, a great Spider-Man. Um, yeah, not in the way that Garfield and Holland uh, managed to get. And I think part of that might just be that the writing at points isn't great. But Spider-Man Two is still just a fucking fabulous film from top to bottom, yeah. um, and and just holds up really, really well. Uh, I didn't put myself through Spider-Man Three because why would I? Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they, those two are still and definitely uh, number two. Uh, still great, great films that hold up. Yeah, it's kind of the same as the original X-Men trilogy, where it's like, X-Men 1 was, yeah, it's alright. Um, pretty much, like, all the scenes with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in them are, are great in the first one. And then X-Men 2 really holds up. It's awesome. And then X-Men 3 is best forgotten about. But it does have Vinnie Speaking Jones. Speaking of Vinnie Jones, yeah. <laughs> uh, shall we talk about some video games, oh, my friend? Oh, go on then. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Uh, what have you been up to uh, with your video game playing, my friend? So, I presume we're still going to be continuing our conversation about Data Boy. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you have finished it. Yes, Data Boy, son of dad. Yeah. Uh, so, I got... Um, massively distracted with doing just all the side quests around the Lake of Nine um, yeah. and surrounding areas. Uh, so that took off a good few... Uh, took a good few hours. And I've only been able to play for like an hour or two a day at a time. Um, yeah. So I'm still like... I, so I've... Uh, I've done... I'm in Midgar and I've just got the piece of the chisel and took on the boss that comes with that. Um, so I, I have no idea like how far I have to go do you have kind mm. of a relative time frame, time frame of how long I still have to go if I'm continuing to do all the side quests just to remind me could you loosely describe that boss without spoiling the story just uh, so that I remember there are two people you are about two thirds of the way through okay right May cool. maybe not quite as far as two thirds it depends really the problem i always find with telling people how long they are time wise through a game is that people often in these kind of games where there's a lot of kind of strategizing and and figuring out bosses um people's play times will vary wildly because some people will get stuck on one boss and other people will get stuck on another um like i completely breezed through that particular boss you're talking about but then in speaking to Brian, that was the one that had him stuck for, like, hours. Yeah, see, I, I've i been fine with most of the big bosses. The, the places where I tend to get stuck um, is with some of the side quests where you end up, like, when you kind of pull sank out of an alternate realm and you end yeah. up with, like, three like level oh, yeah. tier 7 tier 8 bosses yeah. um, and you just have to kind of find a way to kind of pick them off at a time and just constantly yeah. dodge basically but yeah what, what I found for a lot of those pulling out of another realm things that are optional um, is that you're best not come back there till the post game because you're not necessarily supposed to unless you've really been grinding side quests and you've got David, some really high level gear David I've been really grinding me some side quests yeah I, you see I, I haven't, and part of that is down to, like, I'm always concerned about 
over leveling myself because I want the critical path to be at least a little bit challenging. Um, I, I so think, I think my thing is that I have no, I, there's very little chance that I will come back to the game like post game to finish up. Oh, like, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna want to platinum this mainly because there's too many other things. Like I want to get to Donkey Kong Country like yeah. as soon as possible. Um, so like I'm trying to. He says this as he's been doing all the side quests, but I'm gonna just get as much of the game now because once I'm done with it, I'm not gonna come back to it. Um, and like I don't bother well, with post game DLC. So yeah, yeah, well, it's it's not DLC, but there is a thing that seems quite Mark Robinson in the post game. Um, um, is there a cuphead part? Uh, no, it's the way one of the realms that you can explore uh, is structured to challenge you. Um, I, I don't know if I want to say all that much about it. I mean, if there's post-game stuff which is not just collect the rest of the collectibles... Oh, no, it's not just yeah. that. There, then, def there definitely is that, like Odin's Ravens and the like yeah. the, the lore and stuff like that. But there's also, like, a couple of... I think it's two realms that you can go to that offer, like, additional challenges that aren't... Like, they're side quests, but they're more of a kind of, like, a... You shouldn't really come here till the post-game... Um, because you need to be adept at a lot of a lot of things that the the main campaign teaches you to be. I will also say for the the latter part of the game, my uh, my advice to you, my friend, would be uh, actually wait. No, I won't say it because I think you're. Yeah, I I don't want to say it, but uh, keep me, keep me updated and I'll give you the 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 tip when I won't spoil things. Well, what I want to know is, do you like the game? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the bar is now set for my, my game of the year, and it's set pretty high. I think the game does a brilliant job of building and building and building um, and getting better as it goes along, and it's not one of those games that outstays its welcome. Uh, pretty much, like, its toughest and most consequential in terms of story boss fight is your last big boss fight and you immediately go into the end sequence of revelations and story stuff and and knitting everything together right after that um i i i think it's it's completely as i said last week reinvigorated and reinvented the god of war franchise um i think it was a significantly challenging game that felt very satisfying to beat bosses or to accomplish challenges or to do some of those side quests which i have done um i i, I think it was a, such a fully realized world that i got completely immersed in and lost in and part of the reason i'll come back to it in post game now i am gonna kind of take a break for a little while because i have yakuza 6 uh sitting completely unplayed here um, so I'm going to try that for a bit, I think. But uh, I'll keep coming back to it because it's a world I do want to explore, not just because of those challenges that I mentioned in like Nilfheim and, and places like that, but in just in exploring the different bits of lore or the different um, places I haven't yet seen that the critical path didn't take me. And Brian has me half tempted to try at least a couple of the Valkyrie fights. Have you encountered any of the Valkyries yet? No, not yet. I've been to... <laughs> there's <laughs> the... Um, 
circle uh, place temple kind of thing that has the chairs of the Valkyries, I guess. Um, but I have not actually encountered any Valkyries yet. Okay, so uh, what I will say is... Are they the equivalent to, like, the... What the friggin... What are the things in um, Breath of the Wild called? Um, the lion, half lion, half... Oh, the Lionel? Things. Yeah, the Lionel, yeah. Is it um, like that? Much worse. Much worse. Much worse. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, because I've actually... I can take down almost any Lionel in Breath of the Wild, uh, with the exception of the gold and silver ones, which are the hardest ones. Uh, but <laughs> the the relieving thing about the Valkyrie is that you will just happen upon the Valkyries. Like, they are very... They're pretty much uniformly very well hidden in the game. Um but you until you actually swing a weapon at them you can back away and run away it's not like you're just going to walk down a corridor and the valkyrie will smash through a wall and the fight starts uh you will know like as soon as you get into they're called secret chambers of odin and you pass through like a a blue kind of translucent field that's like uh because the the valkyries are imprisoned and it's like their magical prison and they're kind of sitting there with their wings around themselves just perfectly still levitating in midair in the middle of this prison they're in uh, and they won't they won't attack you until you attack them but boy will they fucking attack you <laughs> okay um so i would not recommend unless you really really want a spicy spicy challenge i would recommend not coming back until you're in the post game and have some very very strong armor okay um well perhaps i'll probably have at least have a look at one uh, at some point yeah also you know i don't know if we covered this on the podcast or not because i i can't remember if this is when i was off but uh do you know that the infinity gauntlet is in god of war huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it's not quite the infinity gauntlet it's is uh, it the all, infinity all bracelet it's all caps, uh, the legally distinct from Infinity Gauntlet sort of MacGuffin. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I believe it's actually called, it's the Shattered Gauntlet of Ages. Right. And there's like, there's like a series of quests to get the gauntlet and uh, its most powerful enchantments, which you then plug into the gauntlet, much like one might plug in an Infinity Stone. Um and Brian was saying, because obviously Brian is a man for 100%ing things, he has started to assemble the gauntlet. And even once you start getting the first couple of uh, things to socket onto it, that it becomes an incredibly uh, useful tool for the, the difficult post-game stuff. So I think maybe I'm going to try and assemble the Infinity Gauntlet. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so that's a pretty cool, like a pretty timely addition to the game, I think. Um That'll keep people going. But uh, are you enjoying it any more or any less than you were last week? Because you're now you're getting into some of the really good meaty stuff now at this point. Yeah, um, I'm. You know, the whole time I've been playing, I've been enjoying the um, relationship between Kratos and Atreus, and that's kind of been like his name is Boy. His name is Boy. Yes, and that's really been the kind of binding element that that does keep you going more than anything else um yeah now i've spent a lot more time in the combat and i've unlocked a lot more of the combat i'm very much enjoying that and kind of chaining different um mechanics together to to clear out uh areas um i also really like uh is it mama i think his name is um, yeah yeah head head yeah <laughs> yeah boy he, boy and head and dad yeah three characters <laughs> he he has a, a 
a, a different dynamic um and i i like the interactions between the three of them i like that those two kind of play off just the the dryness of kratos and that um that creates for some really kind of funny moments um like there's a the bit where you're climbing up uh the thor's hammer and uh and like the two of them are looking at Kratos, like, wait, this, this, this is your plan. This seems a bit risky. And Kratos is like, <laughs> if you want to give me a better idea. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm very much enjoying that. And as the story is starting to unfold a little bit more, I obviously want to see what happens next. Um, without providing any spoilers, you can tell me kind of, is there a, a decent payoff? I presume there is. Cause there, a lot of there's, people have been right. So there's a really good payoff. I, I think that the story goes in some really interesting places. Um, I think as well as there being a great payoff to the story by the time the first set of credits roll, I say first set of credits very importantly, because um, I, without saying anything, I will say after the first set of credits roll, make your way back to the house you started in. And go inside and go to your bed. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say because there is a post credit sting. Like there's a second set of credits, a post credit sting that happens when you finally return home. Now, if you want it, you could save that until you've unlocked everything else. And that can be your pat on the back for getting all your unlock- uh, unlockables. But I did it straight away after the first set of credits stopped rolling. Um, and I was still able to do my post game stuff. So it doesn't kind of fall out through you and completely lock you out of making any more progress on that save. Uh, but yeah, the post credit sting, not only like I, I was so satisfied with the, the story of God of War by the time I finished. And then the post credit sting was like, if someone told me that God of War 2 was out tomorrow, but the only copy of it was inside a loved one's stomach and they handed me a knife, I'd know what I had to do. That's how much I want to play God of War 2. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, I, I like, who do I have to pay or kill to play this game uh, immediately? Because it is a pretty boss. And any amount of money for the, the sequel to Dad of Boy uh, to start off immediately where that post credit sting leaves off. Well, it's, I, it's phenomenal stuff. So what did they say? I read the other day about um, it's the best-selling like first-party... Uh, what was... What, what did I, it, it, it sold very well. Uh, it, was, yeah, it's the... It's the, it's the Oh, it's the biggest first-party launch of all time for Sony, I think. Some... Which, which is amazing because they've broken that record like two or three times this generation already. Um, I'm pretty sure Uncharted broke the record for that. I'm pretty sure then Horizon Zero Dawn broke it again. Yeah, I think Horizon did do that last year. Um... And then before Uncharted did, I'm pretty sure Bloodborne did... Oh really? I'm surprised. Yeah, by that one. either that or Bloodborne was. They also have. They also like to tout the record for um, debuting IP, which Horizon Zero Dawn also broke. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I I can't imagine they would uh, not want to um, do a follow up to this because yeah, there, there is obviously money to be made. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I I'm not sure. I want to. I I need to finish it first. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm gonna um, outright say yeah, this will be my game of the year. Um, there's still um, a few other games that I've played, like for example, I, I still very much like the purity of Celeste, 
um, mm. and that's very much a, a Mark Robinson TM game, goes without saying. Um, but the more I'm playing God of War, the more I'm definitely enjoying it, and the more yeah. I'm seeing what other people are saying. Um, so yeah, I you know I hope, I hope I can get it finished by next week, so we can a have other stuff to talk about because we've been talking about God of War for the last <laughs> yeah. four weeks now. Um, and also so I can play some other stuff, but just to kind of like kind of wrap up our yeah. thoughts and yeah. you know have a discussion about the end game and whatnot. Also to clear up your uh, backlog before Mario Tennis comes out next month. Yeah, yeah, good times, eh? Yeah, I know, right? Let's talk about the news. News on the mark. So, Mark, we talked in the news last week about how uh, Pro Evolution Soccer has lost the license to the UEFA Champions League and Europa League, and it looks as if FIFA came in and uh, snapped up those rights. Shock of well, shocks. Konami has announced that they're going to fight fire with fire this week, and uh, <laughs> they're boasting that now they have nine new fully licensed leagues one of which is the scottish top flight <laughs> so konami has announced seven of the nine new officially licensed leagues the danish superliga portugal's liga nos uh, the belgium pro league the swiss super league scotland's ladbrokes premiership uh, the superliga argentine and the russian premier liga which is an exclusive league to uh, Pez 2019 usually the the couple of Russian teams are like in FIFA they'll either appear as kind of just Russian league but not identified as the Russian Premier League or they'll appear in the rest of the world segment like Shak- Shakhtar Donetsk and a couple of other teams like that Panathinaikos and the like Um, yeah this isn't quite like to me Mark this makes a lot of business sense in some ways because it's like okay we've lost our big unique selling point like i know they still have the the only i think big exclusive they have is that they're the only one of the two football games that are allowed to have the new camp not barcelona the new camp stadium um i can't remember what it's called now in fifa but it's not the new camp so um, I, i'm sure there is the one person out there that this makes a difference to yeah the, the yeah. thing with it's, this it's cool for people from smaller countries because like if say if this was 10 or 12 years ago and um pro evo was the first one to have like the irish league in it i'd i think that was pretty cool but i i think now that it's 10 years later and now that i'm used to like fifa just being a machine for having all the leagues i want um well it's not just that it's a simple fact that within like 24 hours to a day or whatever the time frame is you can already have a pack to download and you have everything um, yeah the team's outfits whatever it's usually for you. you can have everything within about a week or two weeks usually sure. like the, the big couple of leagues are usually ready within 24 hours of launch for pro evo uh on on pez fan or whatever it's called um, and then I think like over the next week or so, they add like the Bundesliga and the, the French League and, yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I can't imagine that anyone that's playing PES at this point isn't already aware of that and using that um, on and solely on the basis that they just prefer the way that PES plays. So I, I, I get where Konami are coming from um, and it makes sense to at least try and say, hey, you know, we are still committed to PES and we're doing this. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to really make too much of an impact. 
Yeah, funnily enough, by the same stretch, I do think, like, at least for publicity and for, like, a couple of people, like, it would have... T- 10 or 12 year old me would totally be impressed by being able to play through the full Champions League match day experience like I, I used to enjoy customizing teams and, and that on Pro Evo so that never really bothered me but it did bother me that it wasn't like the actual Premier League trophy and the actual Premier League match day presentation and stuff like that because I was that kind of nerd but like there's something cool about you know you you press start on the match and the actual champions league music is playing as the teams come out and it's the actual graphics like you were watching it on tv um i i do think that's pretty cool uh, and that was a pretty cool little feature in pro evo it wasn't the deciding factor for me as an adult buying it um but it definitely would have like as a kid it definitely would have intrigued me I, I will say and 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 fifa between getting the champions league and the Europa League, and then I think it's within the next week, I think it's May 29th, um, the World Cup update is coming for free to FIFA, which is going to give you all the up-to-date World Cup kits and the World Cup trophy, and again, the World Cup match day presentation, which is a really cool idea to try and get some people to buy the game who haven't got it already. I just At this point, they may as well, Konami might as well just get fully out and just make like a Pez pachinko machine and just fully go into that business because um i i yeah. don't know what else they have um yeah they, they... it'd be it'd be sad to see because for a long time pro evo was the like the real kind of the thinking man's football sim on consoles but uh i totally get what you mean that like th- there isn't really much more they can pull out of the bag no uh and they clearly have shown that they have no idea what to do with uh metal gear and uh, Castlevania, I guess that's still a thing every now and again. But I, I don't know. Um, Konami have put themselves into this bed, so I can't exactly feel that much sympathy. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I know you're delighted by this news, but Leisure Suit Larry is back. Yeah, I read about this. Um, now I've never played the Leisure Suit Larry game, and I'm perfectly fine to continue um, with that being the way so, it is so i've never directly played one but i like in kind out of like curiosity because i remember this game being spoken of in like nintendo official magazine or, or places like that with a kind of touch of oh this is a game you shouldn't be playing uh you kids out there uh so i i do know like what you do in the in those games and the best way i can put it for your mark uh for the and for the uninitiated out there is like imagine conquer's bad fur day but without the irony that seems like a thing i wouldn't want to play <laughs> yeah um so <laughs> i'm gonna say these words out loud mark uh leisure suit larry wet dreams don't dry comes out autumn 2018 on pc and mac like the games of old there's a one point and click adventure with questionable pickup lines uh the note to press includes the following eye-rolling line larry moves straight from the 80s into the 21st century in times of me too and online dating via smartphone larry has to find his way around so it's gonna be awful (laughs) i think i'm just gonna I'm, i'm just gonna just gonna guess that there um um maybe they could have given it to tim schaefer maybe he could have uh done something interesting with it i don't know i i i I can't provide you with comments because yeah i'm sure it'll be bad 
Yeah, I will say like the couple of screenshots here, it looks like well drawn. I I love the animation style, but just not what the game's about. Um, <laughs> the Eurogamer article finishes off with, "I thought the Leisure Suit Larry series died after ex Eurogamer extraordinaire Ellie Gibson Savage 2013's terrible Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded." In her two out of ten review, Ellie concluded, "The world did not need this Leisure Suit Larry game, and it does not need any more." <laughs> Yet here we are. And that was five fucking years ago, and we're back. <laughs> uh, this might interest you, Mark. Mario plus Rabbids Donkey Kong Story expansion coming in June. Um, there's going to be four new zones, ten hours of play, and more. Ubisoft has announced that its long-awaited Donkey Kong Story DLC for Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle will launch on Switch this June. Uh, and there are new details on its presumably potassium-rich contents, too. Mario and Rabbids Donkey Kong Story expansion was unveiled in January, and its Daffy announcement trailer offered a glorious glimpse of the unexpectedly excellent turn-based strategy game's future. Following several months of radio silence, Ubisoft has now finally revealed more on its imminent adventures through Donkey Kong Country. First and foremost, the Donkey Kong expansion isn't a mere retread of repurposed locations. It features an entirely new world to explore and we'll see Donkey Kong, Rabbit Peach and Rabbit Cranky plotting a course through four new themed zones, the Lagoon, Reef, Jungle and one still currently under wraps in their, thwart, in their quest to thwart the lumbering rabid Donkey Kong. Um, you very much... Well, do I recall correctly that Rabid Donkey Kong was like a real turning point for you in that game where it went from like good to great? Yes. Uh, there, there was clearly a, a spark uh, and there was a level of creativity with what they did with um, the, the Rabid hybrids. And yeah, Rabid Donkey Kong and that whole boss battle in particular was very much enjoyable. Um, and just his mannerisms and whatnot. Uh, but this is awesome. I mean, it clearly shows that uh, Ubisoft and Nintendo are, are happy with how the game performed and sold, and see that there is life in it. And um, yeah, this is this is really really cool. Um, hopefully, uh, to me, this will hopefully encourage them to not all the time because I think definitely you do risk like diluting the the prized Nintendo IP. But every now and then, give someone else a license, let them do something real fucking crazy with it, and it could turn out like this. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see uh, maybe Platinum get the Pikmin license and see what they would do with it. <laughs> Weren't people calling for a long time for Platinum to do a Metroid game? Yeah, I'd be on board with yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I'd be very much involved with that. Or, um, or maybe, I don't know. Um, you know what? I know, obviously, um, Pokemon is not completely Nintendo, but I'd like to have, like, rare... Um, do a Viva Piñata with Pokemon. <laughs> Viva Pokemon? Viva Pokemon. I, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Sorry there, I teased you now for a game that you'll never get. Yeah, oh well. Uh, moving on, uh, Sony have reported that the gr market growth being experienced by their virtual reality division is below expectations. A few years ago, as Facebook forked out $2 billion for Oculus and Valve and Sony entered the fray of fancy tech, uh, each their own, virtual reality looked like it might have become the next big thing, not just in video game land, but in entertainment. Fast forward to 2018, and things haven't grown quite as fast as some of the major players had hoped. One of those major players is Sony, which released the PlayStation VR headset in October 2016. Jesus, that's been out nearly two years. Fuck me. Uh, as of... December 2017, PSVR had sold 2 million units, which, to be fair, that's a lot more than I would have expected, personally. Yeah. Um, 
yesterday during an investor relations event, Sony had said that while PSVR specifically was growing, growth of the overall VR market was below expectation. The line came in a note under the challenges and improvement section of a presentation on Sony's video game business called the Game and Network Services segment. Um, clearly, Sony reckons VR has failed to take off the way it had expected, but it's not alone. Earlier this month, Oculus VR's Matt Conti told Eurogamer sister site GamesIndustry.biz the size of the VR market in 2018 is smaller than it had hoped. Uh Mark, I, I know this is falling below expectations. These were the lead cheerleaders of the VR brand. But I think even when all this stuff was coming out at the time, we said this was going to be a, a crawl and not a sprint. That this, between the, the, the high barriers to entry placed by the cost of proper good VR headsets and, and all the rest of it, it, it was never going to be a huge market very quickly, was it? No, and I mean... Companies have been dabbling with VR for, uh, well, like 25, 30 years in some form or fashion. And the simple fact is, VR, I, I will never not see VR as anything other than a gimmick. Like, when I think about wanting to play a video game, I want to be able to just sit there and, and play a game. And I don't need extra peripherals. Um, now, you do get the occasional... Uh, thing that isn't quite like that like the Wii for example but with VR it's it's too fiddly um, there are never ever enough games that uh, really justify that you know VR enhances the experience I mean you'll have something like uh, a Resident Evil 7 or an Alien Isolation but those games they are only even though they've sold very well uh, from a VR perspective they're still going to only appeal to a certain uh, demographic certain group of people there's a simple fact there's the price like if I have a PlayStation I just I don't need to buy an extra peripheral for it that's going to cost me that much more that I'm just not going to use like the way I look at the VR is kind of the same way we've spoken about people that buy a PS Pro or um, the Xbox One X it's you know it's that premium price that premium tier uh, yeah. You know, it's your, your M&S shoppers, and that's only a specific yeah. demographic, and it's never going to be the the mass market. You know, that's not going to be where yeah. your money's going to be made. So I just, I, I don't think see it ever setting off or, or going the way or selling the way that Sony or Oculus or whatever would like it to. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think in the entire span of PSVR, there's only been one game that's come out where I'm like, oh god, I'd, I'd actually love to have a go of that, and that was Super Hot VR. Uh, but sure. even even the mighty super hot, which as well you and the listeners know, I'm a big fan of. Even that couldn't tempt me to get a headset. So if that's not going to do it, I, I don't know whatever will. Uh, I, I don't think VR is for me. Uh, but speaking of Sony and their business, we've had a couple of uh, bits of tidbits this week, Mark, um, that indicate that the PlayStation 5 is closer at hand than we might have thought. Um, the first, and I, I don't actually have the the exact quote here, but it was one that was uh, widely reported over the last couple of days. Um, and that was, yeah, that the uh, an insider at Sony has said that the PS4 is now entering the final phase of its life cycle. 
Um, which is obviously, I, I've seen a few tweets out there by people going, oh, I, I was finally going to take the plunge and get a PS4 or a PS4 Pro, but uh, oh, probably not now. Um, and this comes in conjunction with uh, information that came out this week that Eurogamer have reported uh, about Sony working with AMD's Ryzen CPU tech and the most likely target for that is for the, the PS5's CPU. Now, just to throw it out to a bit of discussion here, Mark, uh, we're five years uh, this November uh, into the PS4's launch cycle, which I, I suppose in nowadays is a long-ish time for a, a console to be kind of around without the announced next console already being um, unveiled, shall we say. Because uh, we got what, I think, 2006, the PS3 came out. Yeah, and then 2013 was the PS4. Yeah, so so seven, but we had known that the PS... We had seen the PS4 in 2012, and we had been seeing things that were more or less the PS4 in terms of, like, leak shots, like, early 2012, maybe late 2011. Um so five years is about when you would expect to start uh, hearing this kind of stuff. But um, what I would say and what a lot of people have come out and said is that uh, uh, my guess would be that we don't see this console until late 2020, possibly 2021. Um, what are your thoughts on these rumors circulating around? Because it must be said that for pretty much an entire console's life cycle, you periodically get news like this. But now it's kind of it, it's ramping up a little bit more wouldn't you say <clears throat> what makes this i'm not sure interesting is the word but it's the one i'll go with um is the fact that we've only just had the ps pro and xbox One. yeah X. Uh, about, about 18 months since the ps4 pro and six or seven months since the the xbox one x and now um I can't remember how the PS Pro did. Uh, I think uh, it, I, both of them reportedly did better than expected. Yeah. Um, but with that said, to say potentially you have the PS Pro, which was released within the last two years, and then say you release the, the PS5 um, next year, you run. Now, it, it wouldn't be as bad as it was in the 90s but you run into the territory which sega had in the mid 90s with um oh here's the uh the sega cd here's the 32x oh now here's the sega saturn oh don't worry about that now here's the dreamcast i don't think any company will ever uh go the the route that sega did in the 90s because you know that we have hindsight to to know not to do that again (laughs) and sony are just they're too successful. They make too much money at this point. They're, they're you know, that just isn't the case. But yeah, um, the issue that you have, I don't know, if they announce that it's not going to be out for like three years, um, I, I don't s- think th- I don't think they'll say it's not out for three years. But I think they just won't talk no. about it for two years. Well, but yeah, I mean, if they don't actually properly announce anything, then they're fine. Because the moment that you announce something, yes, you do run the issue that anyone that doesn't have a PS4 is likely not going to buy a PS4 because they're just going to wait for the yeah. next console. And you've also got to like, if you say it's coming out, then you've basically told Microsoft your plans 
and they have a chance to get a jump on you. Yes. You, you need to announce it relatively close to when you plan to release it uh, because as the PS4 shows, if you get a head start in the mind share of people with the next generation, you can be lapping them by the time their console has come out. Yeah, and the, the thing with this more than anything else is just the idea that we've already had the PS4 for five years because it just it doesn't feel like it. It's me. crazy. It's you crazy. Now, in fairness, Which means I... it's also five years since GTA V came out. Yeah. Now, in fairness, I only had my PS4 for about three years, so that's why it doesn't feel as long for me. Yeah. Um, but, you actually only got one around the time we started this show. Yes, absolutely, yeah, because I got it for Arkham Knight. Um, yeah. So it's... I mean, hey, this is this is what happens. Um, rumblings appear, we're in the E3 season. It's all the kind of stuff that we're used to seeing and hearing. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. Um, I'm really just... I'm not interested in a PS5. I'm not interested in buying another yeah. console. I like uh, my uh, PS4. I'm fine yeah. with it. Um, it does sound like a fucking plane going off on a play God of War, but I can deal with that. When, when it comes out, when the PS5 comes out, if it is three years from now, I'll probably be ready to buy another console by then. Mm. But not now. Like like you said, like I've had my PS4 Pro, which as we discussed in the show before, like I wasn't going to get a PS4 Pro, but then my PS4 started also sounding like a jet engine all of the fucking time and not giving me back discs when I wanted to get discs back, and then I got an excellent trade-in deal on a PS4 Pro. Um, so I'm, I'm not even close to ready, because just playing God of War on my new 4K TV on a PS4 Pro is the stuff dreams are made of in terms of how good that fucking game looks. Um, and there's still so much coming out on it, and I've got such a big library on PS4 that I, I, I'm just not ready yet. And I've only had my Switch for a year, you know. Um, so yeah, not ready yet. But one thing as well to temper people's expectations that PS that the PS5 is going to be revealed at E3 or something ridiculous like that. Any company worth their salt immediately starts doing R and D on the PS5 the day they ship the PS4. That's the only way you stay ahead of the curve is that you need to be constantly exploring, well, where is the puck going to be in terms of technology? Um, you need to keep a robust R&D department constantly, you know, figuring out what they want to do next, talking to developers, seeing what they want from a future console, because otherwise you're going to get caught flat footed by the opposition bringing out theirs and you're going to have to think of some shit at the last minute and you're going to have an Xbox One. I have two predictions, though, for the PS5. Uh, Death, Strand holders. Death Stranding will be a launch title uh, and it will be made of cardboard. Uh Death Stranding as a launch title is not unreasonable. I, <laughs> I, right. I, I think... I, I half joke with that. Yeah, I think... I think Kojima is going to try get that game out next year and it's going to slip to 2020. That's yeah. that's That's been my guess on it. Um, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if it was... Is it Twilight Princess, which is the, the Zelda game that straddled the generations? Uh, or, Amber for the Wild. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, one of those games where like it's one of the last PS4 games, but also a launch game for the PS5. Yeah, uh, I could, I could see that. Uh, and there'll be an announcement for a Gran Turismo game, but that won't come out until three years after the console's been released. <laughs> and uh, Watch Dogs Three is going to have some really pretty puddles. Sure. <laughs> yeah, um, but we'll talk and, about. And some David Cage will have a tech demo. We'll talk about more predictions. Actually, it'll be like in two weeks i think we're gonna have our e3 prediction special so we'll, we'll talk about more predictions that of that time of year again oh. 
Oh, speaking of which, God, I have great segues this week. Speaking of E3, we're going to have the return of what I think was the breath of fresh air to the conference schedule last year, and that is the Devolver Digital E3 press conference. Did you watch the Devolver Digital one last year with me, Mark? I I didn't watch it with you, no. I watched it after. I like to consider the the Devolver press conference um, partly just because of the, the, the tone of it and because of its time slot. I like to think of it as like Joey Janela's spring break uh, yeah. over the wrestling weekend, WrestleMania weekend. It's kind of a similar thing. It was like an adult swim show. Yeah, yeah. That first one. It was great. Just a weird extended comedy sketch about E3 press conferences. That is such a niche brand of humor. And not an influencer only... insight. Yeah, that it only... It would only appeal to the people who were up at 4 a.m. They were that interested in watching it. So yeah. they knew their audience. Um, I thought it was fantastic last year. Like some people thought some of the jokes were overplayed, but I'm one of those people that like with those kind of surreal jokes, if you beat the joke into the ground, eventually it becomes even funnier. Um, so I, I was quite happy. It was a real too many cooks sort of thing. Um, and yeah, the, the, the statement they released uh, saying that it will unfurl at, uh, on Sunday, June 10th at 8 p.m. Pacific time for anyone in the UK or on GMT. This amounts to a rather more unsociable 4 a.m. Monday, June 11th. Uh, ominously, if that's uh, if not exactly unexpectedly, Devolver's announcement tweet notes apologies in advance. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to seeing that. I'll probably catch that on the Monday morning when I wake up rather than wait up for it. I've got, I've, what, June 10th? So, fuck, it'll probably be, will it be next week's program? Might be the, uh, might be, no, it'll be the week after that, yeah. Two weeks, two weeks from now, our E3 special. Fuck. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, I know, right? Um, this is one of the weirder stories this week. So Resident Evil 7 is coming to the Nintendo Switch. Of course, Mark, because everything should be on the Nintendo Switch. No, that that's absolutely fine. But the uh, do you know how big the download size is? Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know, about 30 gigs. Uh, it's only about 50 megabytes. <laughs> yeah, that's because the game is run off the cloud on Switch this i tell you what i tell you what this is peak nintendo uh-huh starting uh, as a japan exclusive resident evil 7 biohazard cloud version really um, rolls off the tongue doesn't it which obviously requires an internet connection to play because you're streaming the game comes out in japan on the 24th of may they just dropped this and it's out this week oh, this is so nintendo it's amazing um as someone pointed out, it is quite something to. Uh, it is quite a Nintendo thing to launch a console, the big gimmick of which is that you can take it anywhere and then have a game come out for it that you can't take anywhere. Of course. It's perfect. It's absolutely <laughs> perfect. I think we missed it. Um, I can't remember if it was last week, uh, but there was the announcement about that Star Fox racing game and. I put the tweet out saying that it's peak Nintendo to make as many versions of an F-Zero game without actually releasing an F-Zero game. I know, right? And you know Captain Falcon is going to be like an unlockable character in of it course. as well. Of just, course. Just to come as close to giving people F-Zero as possible without actually doing it. And they'll probably have a, a mute city or something as well, you know. Yeah. 
Indeed. Um, this is, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether this is like um, a trial run or a trial game to kind of see how this goes, how this sells. Um, if people want to play it, because um, you know, like I, I use my Switch out and about, but I also do use my Switch a lot of the time just indoors. Um, I, I have, it hasn't really left my house for basically since I moved from yours. Um, so, yeah, like, that's that's the beauty of the Switch, is you can have games that you can have on the go, and you can have games that you can just have in the dock, docking station. So, it, from that aspect, it's not that mad. It is more just the fact that um, it's Japan only, which I guess is just because it's a trial period, uh, mm. and the fact that they've gone with um, Resident Evil 7, and the fact that it's just, boom, here it is, not even any kind of, like, formal announcement. So, no, there, there, yeah. there you go. It's an interesting way to try and figure out the way around the the obvious limitation of the Switch, which is the memory. Sure. Um, to see if you can get games working reliably over the cloud on it. Um, I know uh, I was listening to the Giant Bombcast this week, and Jeff Gersman was saying that the the Japan only Switch port of Fantasy Star Online Two also is uh, similar in its it runs off the cloud and it's only a very minimal download onto the actual console but with fantasy star online i kind of understand that more because that's an online only game anyway so yep. it was always going to require a connection this yes. is a little bit stranger if though. you got an mmo then or, or, or that of that anything of that nature then sure but yeah it's just like this is Resident evil 7 but uh, sure like I, I i see this as more just a, a kind of weird kind of perfectly it, it's a bit meta really it's just this weird experiment that they've gone with that may go hideously wrong um but yeah maybe it'll be fine yeah exactly uh to finish off the news this week hey mark remember no man's sky uh yeah we haven't we done this uh kind of thing with no man's sky like once every six months for the last two years yeah there's the remember no man's sky update we should probably have a jingle at this point possibly um <laughs> So, No Man's Sky next big update. You'll notice that uh, there's a couple of things in here. One thing that everyone was promised and then wasn't in it when it came out, and one thing they said they'd never do and they are doing, are both contained in this same update uh, from Hello Games. So, uh, it introduces a proper multiplayer mode to Hello Games' ambitious space exploration sim, it which is, will launch... It, Go on, yeah. it is mad that it's taken this long uh, two years yeah. <laughs> um sure all right yeah it'll launch on july 24th the news comes via hello games sean murray who made the announcement during an appearance on microsoft's latest inside xbox live stream during which they also announced that no man's sky is coming to xbox one which we had been told if you'll recall that it was going to be a console exclusive to ps4 and mm -hmm. sony had as you will also recall put quite a bit of money into no man's sky uh -huh. act, acting as if it was a first party game because it was coming out in a year where they didn't really have a lot coming out first party wise did anyone ever really truly believe that this would be nothing more than a timed exclusive um, probably the exact amount of people that believed to Rise of the Tomb Raider's bollocks when it said it was going to be an exclusive for Xbox that time. Um, but yeah, it'll be cool. Like, I'll probably... Like, like I do when these huge updates come out for No Man's Sky, because I, like... As a relaxing game to play for a tiny little while, I'm, I'm okay with No Man's Sky, you know? Uh, don't... I don't hate it. 
I never I never did hate it. I, I it's like in a lot of ways compared to what it could have been, it's very disappointing. But for what it was, I, I as you recall at the time, I I was quite fine with it. No, but I mean we've always said and you've always said that you didn't come into this um game with like the type of expectations um yeah. that other people had put on it. Um but this is you know, this is a big update with, with the multiplayer aspect. Um and I'm, I, I mean, I would be curious to see, like, how exactly th- does this com- entirely change the way that this get? Like, does it turn the game into an MMO, basically? You know, like, what is No Man's Sky now? Because, um, from watching you play it before, there was a real kind of isolation to the game. In that, yeah, that to me was part of what I enjoyed about it. That it did feel like a solitary exploration. Um. But I liked that idea. Like, it was just a chill game to wander around and explore some shit. Um, but I suppose with the, the gargantuan size of the universe in that game, you still, unless you try to find somebody, and presumably they'll have to come up with some sort of MacGuffin in the game that you will, like, buy at a trading post to try and teleport you to where your mate is. Um because there's still, as you recall, so many planets in that game that if you spent one, was it, if you spent one second on every single planet No Man's Sky has, the actual sun in the real world will have burnt out and collapsed in on itself before you finished. Yeah, well, I can't wait until uh, players already start complaining. Like, oh, can I make guilds already? Let's have wars yeah. and whatever else. I can't remember what's the name of that. There is that space sim online that is on PS4 that people said was kind of the game everyone thought No Man's Sky was going to be. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, So like that already existed. No Man's Sky was a different thing. I enjoyed it for what it was. But every time they've added stuff to it, I've actually liked the new stuff they've had. And it just kind of is a bigger shame that like every time an update comes out, I'm like, wow, this game would have been a much bigger hit if this was in it from the start and i've said that every single time and i i'd say this will be no exception i'm, I'm curious to see like after you play it uh, and you come back and report on it um how it feels because there is part of me that wonders or will wonder if they should have kept with the way the game feels and the, and the tone of it um but just expand on that particular way the game is um, mm. And if the multiplayer that they have added, if it feels shoehorned in, in any way, um, so I'm I'm curious to see what you think of it. Yeah, uh, I will definitely report back uh, when that drops on July 24th. Anyway, that's the end of the news this week. We got to move now into the Link to the Cast Book Club, the weekly feature where we talk about a game from the past that you should play for the first time if you haven't, or pick it back up again if it's been a while. This week it was Mark's selection, and he picked the Jackbox Party Pack.
The Jackbox Party Pack are a series of party video games developed by Jackbox Games for many different platforms on a near annual release schedule since 2014. Each installation contains five or so games that are designed to be played in large groups, including in conjunction with streaming services like Twitch TV and provide a means for audiences to participate. Players play using their phones, tablets, or even computers as controllers, making it the perfect, easy in-game, easy in-entertainment piece for your next game night or party. Uh, once a game is started from the impact menu, players simply connect to the Jackbox.tv web address on their device, and then enter the provided four-letter room code to enter a game. Uh, there are no need for controllers. Um, Dave, so you introduced me to Jackbox um, when I moved to yours. Uh, I can't remember if it was, I think we just did uh, a games night at one point um, with um, about three or four other people. And you'd spoken about this and um, the, what's the, uh, the game about the bomb exploding? Um, uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. That's the one. Yeah. Like so I'd, I'd heard a lot about them um, from you and from Giant Bomb and where else, um, and they sounded really, really cool in theory. Um, but it wasn't until actually in execution of playing them that I realised how uh, clever uh, these games are um, for a number of reasons. Now, the thing about Jackbox, Jackbox Party Pack is that it plays in a lot of ways like a number of different board games that you might play. Um, but incorporates technology, incorporates um, a, a TV, incorporates a device, um, and allows for a much more kind of seamless experience, um, uh, and a lot more of a kind of fast-paced, snappy type of uh, experience, where, you know, games usually typically last anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes. Um, and the way that these games or these packs are released is they usually drop from anywhere for about 20 to 25 quid, give you a series of mini games uh, with a ton of content within each of those mini games. Um, and you know, that's the way they've been releasing th this content for the last four years or so. Um, I'll start by coming to you and asking like, when did you first hear about Jackbox? When did you first play Jackbox? And what were your kind of initial impressions? So I believe that it was from Giant Bomb that I, I heard of jackbox first they do a series on fridays for premium members called unprofessional friday where like all the people sitting on the couch is four or five of them uh depending on the week and they all bring a game to look at and some of them are old games some of them are new games and and they played jackbox party pack this game that i i think what it comes from is the the game you don't know jack existed itself beforehand but i it just was not on my radar and then Jackbox Party Pack comes along and the, the game that really kind of uh, piqued my interest was Fibbage, which I think is the real strong selling point of uh, Jackbox Party Pack 1. Um, and I was just utterly besotted with how they approached what I considered, like, for pretty much the entire span of my life playing uh you know, local multiplayer games. And that is, how do you get over the problem of needing multiple controls when not everybody has the console, not everybody can afford multiple controllers? So, like, I, I'm usually in a position where if I have a console, I try to make sure I have two controllers. And that's 
part of it nowadays is out of a whole I want to like I like the idea of having one constantly charging so that I never run out of battery and have to go on wire with my controller but part of it is the back of my head from when I was an eight-year-old kid and I was like if I don't have a second N64 controller no one can play N64 with me because what are we going to do take turns like a bunch of plebs um so Jackbox was the first time I had seen like their during like the PS2 era there were things like you remember Buzz I do remember Buzz love Buzz yeah their idea was okay we'll sell you in the pack a bunch of game show controls that are very straightforward to use that got over one of the the real problems with local multiplayer especially with casual people is that the the learning curve of having to teach people how to use a controller sometimes is just not worth the hassle like if you're at a family party or something like that and you hand somebody a jewel shock and they've never seen it before in their life where it's intuitive to me it is not to a person in their 60s necessarily if i was going home to my grandparents as a christmas so buzz had figured out one part of it which was oh we've boiled down what you need to do in our game to this very simple uh, game show controller there you go but what that didn't get over then was the expense of having to buy multiple controllers for a multiplayer game jackbox comes along and they sort that out by going hey we're in the 21st century everybody basically has a computer in their pocket now with their phone and a lot of people also have tablets and a lot of people also have laptops it's like what if we turn all of those into controllers and as you said in the intro there by connecting to jackbox.tv so you, you boost up or you boot up one of these games like say it's fibbage and you get your little room code in the corner and you tell everybody in the room it's like just go on the browser on your device whichever one it is and like even though people may not be able to use a DualShock, they'll be able to use their own phone usually. Um, just navigate to Jackbox.tv, put in your your four-digit code, and then that's your controller sitting there in your hand. It's brilliant. The simplicity of it is fantastic, and you don't have to tell them what x triangle square circle do they can just see the prompts and the instructions in front of them. They type in words or they draw a picture with their fingers, depending on what the game is. It's just the the overwhelming feeling when I saw it on the the giant bomb stream and then when I played with it myself, when I introduced it to you at a games night is just simplicity. It's as easy as taking out an actual board game like Monopoly. Yeah, the the real genius is the fact that you can just connect straight to the website and because every time I've played it with someone who has not played Jackbox before, the first question you always get is, oh, is there an app that I have to download? And yeah. um, that, I wouldn't imagine, is always going to be a barrier, but it's one less step. Oh, it's, it's a step that's it's, been it, removed. Yeah, it's one mistake that Sony Sony have tried to do as a play link, they call it. Uh, they have their thing now where they have games that they're trying to do their own Jackbox thing. And the first mistake they made is that you have to get a PlayLink app and have a PlayLink account. Um, but as you say, you don't need an account, you don't need an app, you just go to the thing in your web browser. Yeah. Um, so, you know, any kind of level of convenience you can give to someone who, and this is the thing about Jackbox, is obviously it's it's a game that can be played with um, casual players or people that have never played video games before because it doesn't require control, it requires you to use, you know, a, a device that you use every day in your phone. Um, 
and by removing any additional steps it can just get you into the game as quickly as possible um, and that's also still really handy if you're playing with like up to eight people as you can with some of the games that there's no waiting around for anyone to download the app you know, everyone can just get onto the inter internet immediately um, and you know hook up to a game uh, which is uh, a real genius move mm. um, now each pack has with it a number of different games and so over the series uh, we've seen some games get sequels we've seen some new games come in old games go out um, I guess we should take some time to talk about some of these mini games um, because this yeah. is obviously where the bulk of the experience is uh, and the draw of, of the Jackbox Party Pack um, where do you want to start? So I suppose that the best way to start would be with You Don't Know Jack, which was the kind of progenitor of the whole the, the genre with Jackbox. Um, and that's kind of just like your basic trivia game with a few kind of different steps. Like there is the thing where um, the feature where once per game you have the ability to screw someone into place and, and make them answer a question and uh, things like that. But at its core is just a basic trivia game. And it, it introduces to us a very uh, a personality who would endure through a lot of different Jackbox games and is kind of the the voice of explaining things and the voice of kind of levity throughout. And that's Cookie Masterson, mm -hmm. who also hosts Fibbage and a couple of other things. But that's what's great about like the first time you boot up, you don't know Jack or any of the other games we're about to talk about. Cookie Masterson, through his own kind of like dry, witty way, uh, real kind of like harkening back to game show hosts of old, um, in about 30 seconds, completely explains to you what you're there for, what you got to do. And with a, couple, with a couple of exceptions, which we'll probably get to, most Jackbox games are the concept is so easy to understand that like even if you're around people who don't play video games even if you're around people who don't have great attention spans and even if you're around as people often are uh people who have imbibed some alcohol it should be easy to follow yeah um now i am a big fan of uh drawful um yes because it's basically unless you are some sort of master of of drawing uh, ms paint on a touchscreen device it's yeah, with one finger with one finger it is very very difficult to make anything remotely like what it's asking you to draw uh -huh. um and then getting people to a try and guess what the right answer is but also come up with their own um concept of what they think they're seeing uh, always yeah. makes for a very interesting time um because the thing I like about drawful in particular is sometimes the thing that ask you you ask you to draw is really really obvious, and sometimes it goes completely in the yeah. the surreal. It's, the thing they ask you to draw sounds like a fake answer someone would put in as a joke. Yeah, um, and like I remember there was one of the last times we were playing. Um, I can't remember what it was exactly, but I just I I wrote as my answer was like angry boomerang thrown at the sun, which was nowhere near whatever the thing was meant to be. But everyone went for that because it was like well, that's amazing, whatever. Even if that's not the right answer. Um, yeah, and so it's like draw for is a game you can come back to over and over and over again because, um, like the issue with something like Fibbage is that you do run into the issue that you get some of those questions uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, um, after you've played it enough, but with with Drawful, just because of the people you're playing with, um, can change. And it's a new experience every it's, time. It's a new really. experience every single time. Yeah, 
Um, and yeah, speaking of fibbage, then the, the the kind of trivia game that works a bit differently, where you have to come up with a lie um, that is convincing enough to trick your friends into thinking it's the correct answer to a trivia question. Um, and you get points for guessing the right answer, but you get more points if you trick your friends into guessing the the answer you've made up. Now, the one thing that's that's like it, it, the conceit is great, but then another way in which the game becomes very entertaining is that it's very often too tempting to put in a joke answer. You don't get points that way, but genuinely, it's sometimes playing fibbage when some fake answers put in it's some of the hardest laughing i have done in a long long time at some of the shit that comes out uh in that game yeah now that um so fibbage doesn't go um as extreme with the kind of surreal nature that you sometimes get with um the, the uh, definitely, and that's yeah, definitely the, the, the actual answers are quite bizarre but yeah the, it doesn't the answers don't necessarily seem fake. Yeah, so um, a lot of the time, if you get really stupid answers, it's usually because the the player has given up because they're too far behind. Um, but you can still get some uh, amusement out of it. But that's definitely one of them where you do feel um, like a bit of a smart ass if you come out on top, if you've managed to get a whole bunch of answers uh, correct. Um, I think one of the best games in terms of creativity and for giving funny answers is quiplash because i mean it's yeah. it's kind quiplash of is basically the game some people think they're playing when they play fibbage the first time yeah kind of uh it's it's along the lines of a um cards against humanity type uh situation where you're given a question and you have to come up with the funniest answer and then everyone else votes on that answer um, between yeah. you. Well, so say if there's eight people, um, two people will get a particular question, and so those two people will then, you know, everyone else will yeah. vote on what they think so, is the best answer so, of those two. Yeah, for the round, everybody on their devices will be asked the two questions that they're going to be competing in, and then basically the questions come up one by one. You don't know whose answer is which, and you have to pick which of the two is the funniest answer to the question. Yeah, um, and so, um, you know, depending on who you're playing with, um, the yeah. tone of some of the answers may be uh, a little less yeah. PG. Uh, indeed, as they have been around our place. Yeah. But I think one of the, the, the ones that wasn't... Uh, that I that One of the ones I could actually share on the air, I do remember one, a very early Quiplash game we played, where I think the question was, which is uh, what would be the most bizarre murder weapon? And the two answers were a rubber hammer and the nation of Bolivia. <laughs> so, like, that's that's the level you're at uh, in Quiplash. Quiplash, yeah, I, oh, God, I do love Quiplash. Well, I mean, there was a time that um, the question was, what would be a, a, a good suitable replacement for a wine rack? And I said a child's ribcage, which I'm not proud of, but, <laughs> you know. But, but you also are. But it, it was also like one o'clock in the morning at this point, and you know, I hadn't won many games, so I was like, "Right, Dark Robinson is coming out." Yeah, indeed he is. Um, what else have we got then after that? So Quiplash, I really like. I I do like some of the sequel things they've done with, like, so Quiplash Two kind of expands on the, the basic conceit of Quiplash and adds a bunch more stuff in to refresh the game, and then um, 
Fibbage is up to Fibbage 3 now, and I really love the new mode that's in Fibbage 3, which is called Fibbage All About You, which is uh, one person we've picked at random, and you have to tell two facts about yourself. Yeah. One one of which is true, and one of which is made up, I think, and people have to pick up pick which one is true. Uh, or it's it's something to that effect. Um, but wow. yeah, it's, it's one that kind of personalizes and also makes, uh, I think... Uh, Jackbox games are at their best when they lean on user-generated content. And yeah, one of the other games that I really like is Trivia Murder Party from Jackbox 3, um, because it plays like a, a traditional quiz, basically. Um, but, you know, if you get answers wrong, you're eliminated, um, and it has this kind of horror theme element to it that has a real kind of visual style to it. And that really works um, with the fact that one, one of the main appeals about the Jackbox Party Pack is that um, a lot of Twitch streamers play this game. And they you play it with just complete random strangers on the internet because um, you know as long as you have an internet connection and you have a device, uh, as long as you have the the code for the room, you can get in and you can play with strangers on the internet. Um, and that has a real uh, kind of community building aspect to it. Uh, and so I've watched a number of streamers um, from different parts of, of Twitter. Um, who do that and they just you know they'll start a stream they'll start a game and they're like rip code is uh, is available and jump on if you want and you know you've just got the streamer and six or seven other people um, just you know playing a game of quiplash or fibbage and you know there's there's a second or two of delay but um, you know everyone still can get in because there's still plenty of time to get your answer your drawing or whatever in um, and that's one of the real appeals of, of Jackbox and it's something that I would still like to at some point, um, if I ever set up to do it, I'd really like to just get a Twitch stream going and just like, right, I've got a code ready. Whoever wants to come in and play with me to play some Quiplash, whatever, you know, jump on. Um, and yeah. it's it's never not successful. Mm. Uh, I also enjoy two more games worthy of mentioning here. Uh, Survive the Internet, which I think is uh, a great kind of like, a uh, little bit of a statement game on uh, how the internet twists and turns one thing into another, um, and that's the idea that a bunch of people. So up on at the end at the start of every round, a question will come up on um, your phone, and you have to answer the question quite honestly. It's like, oh, say, um, oh, fuck, like uh what's your say what's your favorite car and i will say like oh i don't know uh like a, a, a volkswagen passat and uh up will pop on the screen then during the round uh dave says volkswagen passat and then you will have to come up with a headline for which that quote would make me seem like an awful person so like if i said volkswagen passat you could say dave ryan says uh in court where the bodies were or something like that you know just just pulling off the top of my head i i, I think depending on the group of people you're with that can become a very entertaining and very uh non-pg game as well uh depending on how dark you want to go with it and i think um an ingenious license to print money game that they came up with uh for jackbox 3 i think it was is tko i don't think i've played tko uh, have you not? Were you? We definitely played it once, but uh, I, 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 I can't remember if you were once, but I, 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 It's one that I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, so just going from, I'll explain this uh, from their Wikipedia page because I need to get this right so people understand what a genius concept this is. Oh, it's is. the one with the t-shirts. Yeah, I have played yes. this at least once. Then 
So it's a drawing-based game. Each player draws three images of anything they want, though the game provides suggestions to help. Then each player has a chance to enter several short sayings or slogans. Subsequently, each player is then given two or more random drawings and two or more random sayings and selects the pair that fits together best as printed out on a t-shirt. These designs are then put into one-on-one voting battles with each other um, and... uh, uh, one-on-one voting battle with all other players and audience members as to determine the best voted shirt design and the design that has the longest voting streak. A second round of voting, slogan writing, pairing and voting is performed. The winning designs from each round are then put up uh, against each other to determine the ultimate winning design. Players can then go to the website to have their t-shirts printed as designed in the game if they want. Which is a, just a brilliant idea that if you come up with this like hilarious T-shirt playing TKO, this terrible drawing, and a complete non sequitur saying that makes everybody laugh, there's then a link and a code to go to Jackbox's website, and you can get that actual physical T-shirt sent to you, which I think is just ingenious. Yeah, um, that adds a, a, a real kind of physical element um, that goes along with yeah. the the physical elements of um, you know how you play the game. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I think that was one of the, uh, one of the is a real genius idea. Mm. Uh, they've been releasing like pretty much a party pack a year since the first one came out, and we have Jackbox Party Pack Five is due out in the autumn of 2018. Um, and I think the only game we know for sure is we're getting a sequel to You Don't Know Jack on it. Um, uh, do you do you feel that the Jackbox series has in any way uh, lost a bit of steam? Because I know some people thought that Jackbox Four was uh, a little bit lackluster compared to some of the others. Um, I don't think it's. I, I wouldn't say that it's lost its steam. What I will say is that uh, every Jackbox so far has had like one game that's like, mm, I'm not so sure about this. Um, so like Monster Seeking Monster was a more recent one and it was Bomb Core as well there's been a few that I'm just like I don't really like this um, but yeah I will say that Jackbox 4 was the one where the good games were just as fun as they were they were still kind of just more of the same mostly uh, and there was a couple of bad, uh, not so good ones in that lot. I still enjoy them, and I will still be the first to pre-order Jackbox Five when I see it in the store. So it hasn't lost my interest yet. But then I'm I'm someone who hosts games nights semi-frequently, so it, it's it's exactly my kind of shit. Um, yeah, so I guess um, with that, the last thing for me to do, I guess I can do is. Uh... Uh, an elevator pitch uh, mm-hmm. and simply the jackbox party pack is um a real uh kind of evolution of the multiplayer experience um you know we had back in the day the n64 which is perfect because it had the four console slots uh, four controller slots um so you know if you had someone who had two controllers and you had two controllers you could get together play mario party mario tennis or whatever um and as you mentioned earlier stuff like buzz was um a real ingenious uh, multiplayer game by including the peripherals for 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 people to play, um, but Jackbox streamlines all of that by you know you don't need any extra peripherals you just need the game and you need some form of device that can connect to uh, the web to the internet. Um, <clears throat> 
and it has a level of creativity uh, in its mini games that means that you know you can play it uh, every other night with different people and you'll always get a different experience with um, a number of the different uh, multiplayer game with the games available and it's you know all bundled up for a really decent price um, and it's definitely definitely worth checking out because it's on just about every platform available um, so you know you can pick up the first one to the fourth one um, for a very very reasonable price on your platform of choice and it's definitely definitely worth checking out if you're having a games night in indeed um, I guess the the one last bit of business to do here now is to name what is going to be the book club game for episode 112 next week. And it's my turn uh, to do so. And uh, Mark, I'm going to take us back to the year 1997. Um, and I'm going to take us to uh, the very first game I owned for the Nintendo 64. And that game is called Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't done that yet. Yeah, that's why I just looked it up there as you were talking to make sure, and we haven't. So uh, Diddy Kong Racing is going to be episode 112 of the show. Uh, that's going to do it for another episode of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe, review, uh, rate us there. It all helps. The website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email, linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media, though, is the easiest way to keep up to date with our content and to get in touch with us. That's facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and that link to the cast on Twitter. Individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project. Hey, if games aren't your only bag, we may have the podcast for you. Available in this feed as well are the Grap Up, which is the once every few months pro wrestling podcast that we do. Uh, we haven't done one now since WrestleMania week, but with the WWE UK Championship Tournament fast approaching, we will probably be sitting down and doing another one in the relatively near future. Uh, as well as that, we have the Popcorn Social, which is our monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings with myself and Jack Lazell. Uh, on top of what we've seen lately, we also add one offering from each of us on every show from our personal list of favourite movies. Um, the Popcorn Social, I think we should be dropping one of those in a couple of weeks now. And as well as that, I think we can make the announcement official right now, Mark, is that we are going to be bringing back uh, our, our special Link to the Cast football preview show for two weeks and two weeks only to preview this summer's World Cup. So you can look forward to those dropping uh, over the couple of weeks between now and the kickoff of festivities over in Russia on, I think, the 14th of June. I would imagine there must be an 8-bit rendition of Three Lions song where i can grab i would be almost certain but the real the real anthem of football is that france 98 jingle yeah <laughs> <laughs> um these podcasts plus our weekly link to the cast flagship broadcasts are all available on the same podcasting feed so one subscription to link to the cast on your podcast provider of preference will do the trick and of course if there's any episodes you want to go back to go over to that website link to the cast.eu to search for whichever episodes tickle your fancy Anyway, for myself, Dave Ryan, and for the man on the line here, Mark Robinson, this has been episode 111 of Link to the Cast. We shall see you all next week. Goodbye.